Hey, Bobby Bones here. And recently I've been talking a lot about first responders. The people on the front lines deserve our thanks. If you want to show them that you appreciate them, do it with a gift card or by making a contribution to first responder organization, Team Rubicon, at giftcards.com slash thanks. Everybody loves gift cards, and now you can send one without ever leaving your home. It's time we celebrate the people taking care of us, first responders, at giftcards.com slash thanks. The clock is ticking, tick, tock. What's the time, Mr. Clark? Little Hans says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. This is Gary. Gary Hoffman. This is Gary, and he's very, very famous on Twitter. Shannon Farron. <laughs> it's terrible! She has beautiful eyes, and her hair smells like cinnamon! Mm-hmm. Gary and Shannon. I wouldn't be anywhere else at this hour, except on TV. stimulating talk we don't know how many fatalities we're dealing with up in washington this was the inaugural service high speed service the cascade service from seattle to portland left seattle at 6 a.m it was going to stop in tukwila tacoma olympia centralia kelso vancouver portland arrived there at 9 20 a.m well it got to tacoma and on its way to olympia It looks like it was on an overpass there on the tracks. Going 80 miles per hour, it's reported, when it derailed. This is a uh, a, a new line. It's the first line, first time you said the inaugural voyage, I guess, of of train 501, which was to go to Seattle to Portland and shave a whole 10 minutes off of the time. Can you believe that? It was like an $800 million project so that it wouldn't go along the coast. It would go inland and use the existing tracks that the Sounders trains use uh, to shave 10 minutes off commuters' time. Uh, To do that, it was going to have to reach speeds, like you said, 80 miles an hour in different neighborhoods. Not everybody was excited about that possibility, including the mayor of Lakewood, which is uh, just north by a couple of miles of where the actual derailment took place today. A couple of weeks ago, that mayor came out and said, listen, we're we're going to see deaths. We're going to see crashes. Now, he wasn't specifically talking about the train derailing and falling onto I-5. He was talking about pedestrians. He was talking about traffic crossings where maybe this thing was going to catch people by surprise. In fact, I want to play this for you. This is Don Anderson, the mayor of the town of Lakewood. Come back when there is that accident. You're justifying not putting in those safety enhancements. He says, come back after there is an accident and defend not putting in those safety things. Now, he wanted grade separations, like overpasses. Which is exactly where this took place. Uh, the thing is, there there are walls, guardrails that are up in this area, right over where the train would have crossed the the uh, freeway. It, but, And we don't know exactly if this there was a problem with the track or there was a problem with the uh, the engine that was, uh, that was pulling. It could be that. It could be a pedestrian. It could be a car. We just don't know. But there were a lot of calls to slow down this service. Hey, maybe not yet. Like you said, up until about two weeks ago, there were news reports. There were mayors in these towns saying, hey, let's just hold off for a minute. We're not comfortable with this yet. And on the first day, on the first service, this happens. 
this was the um, this was the new point defiance bypass route. It was the like you said, uh, multi millions of dollars project that began several years ago. There was a new Amtrak station that opened in Tacoma, which is just north of where the accident took place, and it would have reduced the length of that trip Seattle to Portland overall by ten minutes. That's it. But the important part was it was going to take the Amtrak passenger trains. Off of the freight lines, because usually when they would run together, they would have to wait for they one train for the to freight pass. Cars. Yeah, exactly. so that, that was the problem is that it was taking up. That's what was adding so much to the time of, of travel between Seattle and Portland. For that whole 10 minutes. What we know are there are 78 passengers and five crew on this train that derailed. There were vehicles underneath that overpass on I-5 that were also affected. Cairo reported just about an hour ago that they know 77 people have been transported to hospitals and again multiple fatalities but they're being very vague on what they mean they can't they can't get more detailed than that at this point i've seen three dead so three far. dead okay I- and, and what we can tell you is one of the cars on this train is underneath the car that is still attached to the top of the overpass it looks like it crashed down onto one of the train cars below it onto the freeway and the one that is on the freeway at least the one that we've seen in the pictures is upside down yeah so there's a i mean if you it, there will be multiple fatalities it's going to be higher than 3 i wouldn't be surprised if it was closer to about 20 just based on the 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 car itself the train car itself that is now upside down on the freeway and then the others that are on top of it and that's the other part is we can't see just based on the location of the TV cameras and the shots that they've been able to get. We can't see the number of cars, the final number of cars that actually derailed. There are still people trapped. Yeah, they're still doing this as a rescue thing. Now, this this is a, a developing story right now, and it's one that is going to be updated through the course of our show. So when there is some sort of a, uh, an, a news update, a, a news conference, whatever – we will bring it to you because this is uh, this is an ongoing and developing situation. There's other stuff going on as well. The Thomas Fire, obviously burning up in Santa Barbara and Ventura counties, is now at 270,000 acres, and by the way, is just a tiny wind gust away from becoming the largest fire in California recorded history. Now burning homes in Montecito, at least one. Yeah, the, so. the good news is temperatures are going down, humidity's going up, winds are out of the south-southwest today, so it should be a little bit easier. They they had a good day, if you want to call it that, a good day on the fire lines yesterday, and are expected to make some progress today. And I don't know if you saw that, that uh, procession all the way through Ventura County into L.A. County and then into the Inland Empire yesterday yeah. for, for Corey Iverson, yeah. the firefighter. That is... If you've never seen uh, a funeral procession for a firefighter or a police officer or even a soldier that's returned to uh, their, the bodies returned to their hometown. Chills. Gut-wrenching. Yeah. It's just absolutely gut-wrenching. Uh, president going to unveil America First national security strategy today. We're expecting that at about 11. We'll take you to D.C. live. Also, the Carolina Panthers owner, all the sexual harassment stories from all over the place in different industries – has hit football. He says he's going to sell. What did he do to sell? 
I mean, well, you look I think at, this is the the culmination because I've seen that they're he's paid out all kinds of settlements. Well, okay, then when you pay something out, you're supposed to make it go away. What was he up to that he has to be forced to sell? I mean, this is an NFL owner. This is an elite 32 person club that not even the president can get claw his way into. Well, we I mean, know what, it has to be bad stuff. And if you're an NFL owner, if you're another NFL owner who may not be the cleanest of guys, sure. are you worried that you're going to lose your club? Maybe. I don't think so. This is, this is to me, just takes my breath away the, that, that an NFL owner would cower. The fun part of that story also, we'll talk more about it in the 12 o'clock hour. The fun part is who wants to buy the team. Yes, now, that is fun. He's, he's lined up and said, I'm in. I'll buy it right away. Well, Let's make a deal now. Who's going to buy it and who yeah. else is jumping on? That wagon. Um, also, if you want to see something very cute, i.e. a baby camel in pajamas, oh, you follow us at Gary and Shannon on Twitter because I just retweeted that. Yeah, but Amy, you, you said that like that's a common thing. Like that's your go-to is camels in pajamas. I, I think it's adorable. Amy, it's so cute. <laughs> Hold on, I got it. When we come back, if you have to travel this week uh, outside of train travel, airplane travel was absolutely handcuffed yesterday because of a power outage at one airport. It just happens to be the busiest airport. Uh, just, you know, no big deal. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. So I drive the taxi and the traffic distracts me from the strangers in my backseat that remind me. December 18th, we uh, are going to keep an eye on this train derailment up in Washington State. Do you know where Joint Base Lewis McCord is right now? It's sort of south of Tacoma, this train, an Amtrak train, carrying 70-plus people derailed and landed on I-5. Several uh, several cars landed on I-5, and we still haven't gotten a great description of exactly what happened how many cars are involved, how many fatalities, but we know that there will be some. And we know there were many secure, or excuse me, safety questions before this maiden voyage, if you will, uh, from uh, the high-speed service from Seattle to Portland because Lakewood Mayor, which is a town just south of where this derailment happened in DuPont, uh, Lakewood Mayor Don Anderson was against this train going through the new route because he said it was not suited for the existing rails. And he said that. Before the damage was done about two weeks ago. December 4th, I think, is when he's... That's that's an incredibly prescient thing, unfortunately. Uh, All right. Well, did you have to... Well, you flew charter... Never mind. No, no, no. Let's just stop with this luxury travel (laughs) charter flight business, because let me tell you what happened. After the debacle in Kansas City... Hard to watch. Hard to watch. That was the 0-4 Chargers. That was a different team that, that showed up or didn't show up. Um, but the Chiefs did look solid uh, and I, on every side of the ball. But anyway, we get on the buses. We go to the airport, which was about an hour away from Arrowhead Stadium. We get to the plane, got on the plane maybe about midnight, I want to say, Kansas City time. And then we're stuck on the tarmac until 3 a.m. Wait, I think that's a terror in the sky story. Flight 209, you are cleared for takeoff. Roger. Get off my plane. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Enough is enough! I have had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane! It's 
Gary and Shannon's Terror in the Skies on KFI. All right, so after the game. The only good news. Deep in the dark heart of the Midwest plains of the United States, you're sitting on a tarmac. Sitting on a tarmac. For two hours, three hours. Uh, then we finally take off. The good news is, is because we took off in the middle of the night, there wasn't a lot of traffic and we had a tailwind. We got back to L.A. from Kansas City in about two and a half hours. <laughs> they were booking. Oh, well, that's good. But by the time I was in my car from the team facility to drive home from that game on Saturday night, it was Sunday at 5.15 a.m. What? And thank you to Elizabeth Espinoza. For Sunday mornings with Elizabeth, who kept me awake on that on that drive home because it was touch and go. Well, yesterday was also a nightmare for anyone who had to fly because no matter which airport you were in, just basically around North America, you were affected by this power outage at Atlanta Hartsfield Airport. It is not the largest, but it is the busiest airport in terms of the number of planes that go in and out of there every day. And Delta, with its biggest hub in Atlanta, was the airline that was hardest hit. They had canceled they had canceled twelve hundred flights as a result of this power outage there in Atlanta. And there were flights as far away, you know, obviously LAX, there were flights that had to be canceled, flights that were coming from Atlanta that never came, flights that were headed to Atlanta that never left off, There's never a, lifted off. A morning host in Atlanta radio, Brian Moot is his name. He says he was returning home on a flight from Dallas when the power went out in the airport. He says he and his fellow passengers had been stuck in their plane on the tarmac for six hours. Yikes. No food. Bathrooms no, are getting full. He says, and, and when they do that, when there was a power outage, they showed the ground stop. I mean, there were literally planes on the runway. uh, on the runways that were stopped. I mean, they would have been on the tarmacs, but, I mean, they were not moving. He, sa- he says... People were being really calm and re- really cool. We realize it's not the airline's fault. He says, but the babies are getting restless. Oh, we don't God. have any food. No one's eating. They're trying to get us water. Could you imagine being stuck on a plane with a baby for six hours? I've done that. Oh, I haven't been stuck. I mean, I've traveled with kids, obviously, babies, and it's always touch and go. It's always a gamble that you have the right things to keep your kid oh. entertained for that. And I never took a flight that was longer than I want to say maybe two hours. It would be West Coast, so it's like Seattle, Sacramento, or Seattle, L.A., or something like that. And that's it. Is it kind of like best in show when they need to placate the dog and they can't find the busy bee? That's ex- that, that's exactly what it is. And the thing is, it's always the one thing you didn't pack. Right. You could pack a half a dozen things like from the, from the most – uh, the most emotionally connected teddy bear to, to like the, a dirty diaper to a dirty and the diaper. It's like, where's my old right. diaper? And you can't, <laughs> you can never predict that. By the way, those parents who I, you may have seen this before. I've never received one, but somebody who sits down and the parents pass out like a, and I'm sorry bag to the people that are immediately oh, around them, I've which not. is like earplugs and a sucker and like a rattle for them to distract the kid. It's just the preemptive strike, like, hey, people I have do that? never seen that. I have never ever. seen that either. You've never seen that? People no. do oh. that, huh? Yeah. They'll, it's, it's just a little note. Hey, it's, and it'll be like cutesy note from the baby. Hey, it's my first time flying. I hope I don't that distract That would make me want to punch someone and then throw. I was just, I don't know if that's going to make me any happier. That's, it's a for, foreshadowing like, of this baby crying all the time. No, they're, 
I guess yes. I hate this idea. Cry, but but that's just going to make me really pay attention to that. Right, right. It's like knowing that there's a leaky faucet. Now I'm going to be listening for it. Exactly. Sorry for my my leaky. My brother, even when he doesn't travel, he travels by himself. He brings earplugs and gives it to other like single travelers with him because then they buy him drinks. Nice. Mm. Just for earplugs? Well, it depends on how loud that kid is, doesn't it? Drinks on planes are expensive. Six bucks for a beer. Five bucks. That's oh, I'm the, sorry. That's the cheapest drink you can buy these days. He's on an airplane. Don't buy a drink for somebody who's preemptively telling you my kid's going to cry. Agree completely. No, my kid might cry. You that's, need to save that money for your cocktails to get through that <laughs> exactly. flight. Exactly. <laughs> when we come back, uh, we're going to update you on the Thomas Fire. Some good weather news, thankfully, finally, to report from Ventura and is Santa Chris Barbara County. Is Chris Carlo still there? No. Did you hear us? We had a great conversation on I did Friday. not hear. He is there? No, he's not. He's coming on. Oh, that's exciting. That's great. I feel like I just talked to him. You did. Oh. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. So let's go back to Alcacum On a blinking afternoon Gary and Shannon Getting some of our first bird's eye view shots of that train derailment up in Washington State. Some weather, I guess, prevented helicopters from going up earlier, but now you can see several cars that are off the tracks. In fact, the vast majority of them on that train. They're on both sides of the overpass on the five. And I was just listening to some experts that they had on Fox News. And they were saying that it's unclear if it was a push or pull train. And yeah. we know that well, that when you have those push trains, there's more there are more problems that crop up. And, and, and she was saying that. It's important to know if this section of track was tested for the speeds that this train would be moving. Because remember, this was the first time that a high-speed train, 80 miles an hour, took this particular route uh, the first morning. And so she said that there are certain uh, pieces of information given to the train engineer about how fast you need to take that turn. There was a, a somebody inside the train that called in, sounded like it was a crew member, and, and on the, the dispatch call said, we were approaching the turn. We are approaching the, the curve. And she said that's when the... Uh, the changes need to be made when it comes to speed, right? The the engineer said, is given the information, hey, when you come around this turn, you should dial it back to, I don't know, 62 miles per hour, whatever it is. Unclear if this stretch was tested or he didn't get the information or that he didn't follow the information for whatever reason. We just don't know at this point. Yeah, and just uh, in your mind, you think of the the – the situation, the the landscape here, the tracks run parallel to the southbound lanes of I-5 right through DuPont. And then the turn that you're talking about is a very, you know, not a very tight turn, but it's a turn to the left and carries the tracks over, carries the train over the uh, the freeway. It looks like, just based on the images that we've seen from the sky now, the engine that was in the front, whether it was the one powering or uh, pulling the train, went just directly off the tracks, never made one inch of that turn, and then carried the rest of the train with it. So there are several cars that are either on their side or even upside down, and a couple that are just off the tracks and still hanging on uh, above the uh, above the roadway itself. So w- when we do get more information, when we hear a news conference, we'll bring it to you live. An update on the Thomas Fire now from Chris Carlo. Chris, what do you know? Somebody didn't plug him in. No? He's got a little... Blake. Hashtag do your job. It says right there, ready to go. It says ready to go on the screen. 
It's weird. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't put him on the air. Oh, there he is. Hey, Chris, what's going on? Uh, you know, just the typical technical foul-ups because technology is wonderful in 2017. Oh, my gosh. Otherwise. Don't even get me started. My <laughs> Samsung phone, which is the Antichrist, I've decided, uh, decided to reboot spontaneously yesterday and erase everything and then lock me out for 24 hours. <laughs> this is what happens when we lose net neutrality, guys. I know. Oh, stop it. Okay. All right. What's going on? My understanding was that yesterday was a relatively good day uh, for, for fighting the Thomas fire. A relatively good day coming off of a really tough couple of days. And, uh, you know, the, the bad news is the acreage is massive, 270,000 acres, which means we're just about 3,000 acres away from the largest uh, wildfire in California history. Um, it, it's an almost certainty that over the course of time they will reach that status on the Thomas Fire, on this fire in Ventura and uh, Santa, Barbara's, uh, Santa Barbara counties. The, the good news is that the wind finally did calm down a little bit, um, and perhaps perhaps we could even see some, uh, some sprinkles of rain in the forecast. Uh, long term. So it, the, you know, as we were looking at the weather forecast, and this seems like eons ago, but it, it was, I guess about two weeks ago, when firefighters were talking about the fact that we could be witnessing a long term fire weather event all the way until about December 22nd. And, you know, we're about four days away from that. And it looks as though that long term forecast is kind of holding true. And that uh, conditions still continue to favor the fire across the board but some relief perhaps could be coming um with that said i don't want to read too too much into the forecast uh containment is up to uh is up to 45 percent, so that's notable uh there are significant parts of ventura county that have been as they call repopulated people have been able to move back in um the thing is we are still looking at eighteen thousand structures buildings homes that are threatened and um more than a thousand have been destroyed so those numbers are pretty staggering. And uh, the firefighting force is now well up above 8,000, almost to 8,500 firefighters working this thing. It seemed like a pretty uh, brutal firefight Saturday night uh, defending Montecito. It was pretty scary. You know, I mean, obviously I um, was in Burbank doing the, the Chargers broadcast, but I had one eye kind of on on football Twitter and one eye on wildfire Twitter. And it was amazing to see some of the pictures coming out of Montecito, coming out of Santa Barbara. It was uh, it was very difficult for me to stay in uh, in the studio and not want to go up there and, and you know, report on it firsthand because it seemed like one of the mo- most active days. And it seemed like the day that firefighters feared the most in the way that the winds were blowing. And it was pushing across to uh, Gibraltar Road, which was this, you know, has been this line of um, demarcation, if you will, for firefighters in the Santa Barbara frontlands. They, they really wanted to make a stand there. And I had actually on Friday, um, on, on Thursday, rather, I had been all the way up to Gibraltar Road, up to the top where they had made this big cut. You guys may remember me talking about this, this big uh, cut. And also they had just dropped a ton of phosphorus right along that cut because they knew if the fire didn't make it that far, that would be the moment of uh, of truth, really. They would have to make that stand there. Otherwise, the fire runs down into, like, Mission Canyon, and then you've got Santa Barbara and threat and perhaps, you know, a, a, another big disaster in uh, a densely populated part of Southern California. 
The uh, the widow of Corey Iverson, the one firefighter who was killed in this, um, my understanding, spoke to a bunch of the other crews over the weekend as well. Uh, you know, I, I did not get a chance to see that. What I did see was the procession uh, as his body was moved from Ventura down to San Diego County. And um, just, you know, it's amazing and heartbreaking to see thousands of firefighters across that stretch. And and I say firefighters, really, I mean, like, first responders across all spectrum, uh, the entire spectrum. On every overpass, you know, I was driving across uh, uh, the 210, and there was a big American flag strung up on a ladder. And initially, as I was coming off, you know, I saw all the engines, and I, uh, I thought that, you know, perhaps there had been a crash on the 210 or something else. And it took me a second to kind of put it two and two together and say, oh, no, this is what's happening here right now. And then you look down the 210, and it's just uh, this long stretch of every overpass of, uh, of flashing lights all the way down as uh, these guys come out to pay respect. And I think that speaks really to the, the profession of firefighting, that um, when a guy or a girl, when a man or a woman is fallen in, in this case, it's, um, you know, I mean, it's, that's the worst thing that could happen, but it's also the tradition and the pride of firefighters that they won't let that person's sacrifice really just be forgotten or, or dissipate into the background. Chris, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course, guys. All right. We're getting an update here on this train derailment. Uh, an official now says at least six people are dead. They expect that to rise. And an official uh, with Amtrak says it may have struck something. The train may have struck something on the track before going off. Uh, they they called it track obstruction. And the definition, uh, if you want to get into uh, railway and train, is uh, uh, track obstruction will not permit the passage of a train at full speed with an ample margin of safety. But, I mean, if it if it hits something, that's obvious what that would be. Yeah. Um, there is no uh, there is no crossing nearby, so it would have been unlikely that it was a vehicle of some kind, right? Um, but it, could it was have been, on an overpass, right? right. But uh, but even the the right before the overpass where it runs parallel to the tracks there, um, I don't know. I wonder if they've had weather in the area. You know how like uh, we've got palm fronds down all over the place because of the winds. It's if raining something... there, but it's not. I, I haven't seen anything that would make it be like trees falling over. There is a big grove of trees actually that the engine went through. Before it came to a stop, so it's it's hard to say if I mean it's possible. I guess one of those trees could have fallen across the tracks, but we'll find this out. I mean, this is all stuff that will uh, that will come out soon. All right, we'll stay on top of it. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM six forty. stories we're keeping an eye on the thomas fire we just talked to chris and carlo 270,000 acres uh now the second largest fire in state history and could easily overtake the number one cedar fire just a few thousand acres to go uh the carolina panthers owner uh, has some skeletons in his closet he says he's going to sell the team at the end of this season because of the sexual harassment allegations against him uh, that's because not only is that interesting it's who has now stepped up and said they want to buy the team so, uh, and then of course the Amtrak derailment in Washington State. The death toll uh, unofficially is at six right now, but it is likely to go up from that. 
There were seven cars, I think, including the engine that jumped the tracks over I-5, and some of those train cars ended up on the freeway. So we'll t- we'll talk about that when we um, get some more updates as well. Uh, also, did you hear about the judge on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, Alex yeah. Kaczynski? Yeah. He's he, stepping down today he because he... Uh, He's got a, more than a dozen reports of sexual misconduct filed against him. Apparently, he was asking clerks to watch porn with him, uh, improperly touching women, and kept a chart of his college sexual conquests, which I think is funny is lumped in there. Well, he called it like, uh, what do you call it, a knock list or something like that? I don't remember what it was. But it, but And then was surprised, like... What, doesn't everybody keep a list like this? Well, not when you're 70. Yeah, but you know what? I don't have a problem with that. If he got a lot of tail in, in college, fine. You want to keep a chart, fine. <laughs> hold on, hold on. If I keep a list, I, yeah, what, it makes what's you. That, what's that list of framed names you have you by a, your desk? Listen, it makes you a total douche, but it is not something that you should be fired over. <laughs> it's just stupid behavior. And who's Doug? Never mind. Well, actually, your list would be interesting <laughs> because you've got a lot of uh, exotic names on your list. Well, have you ever heard? <laughs> have you ever heard of the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program? Have I? This was a secret Pentagon program, secret but not classified, just not really spoken of, Pentagon program to look at uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. Now, this is not saying that we were chasing UFOs and little green men or anything like that. But there was a bunch of stuff going on that military men and women would report that we didn't have a good explanation for. So Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, then Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid of Nevada, first got the appropriation, the money, to begin this program back in 2009. Uh, Senators Daniel Inouye and Ted Stevens a couple of World War II veterans concerned about the potential national security implications to things we couldn't understand going really fast in the sky. Could you imagine if you were a pilot well, and all of a sudden you see this object and it's maneuvering in ways you've never seen? It's moving so fast. That would scare the hell out of me. And that my government wasn't letting me in on the fact that this was going to be in the sight line of my flight pattern. Listen to this. One of the guys that was behind this is Chris Mellon, a former Democratic staff director for the Intelligence Committee and a deputy assistant secretary for defense intelligence. This is a guy who knows some of the most secret things when it comes to defense abilities. He wrote this, uh, or I should say he described this to a uh, recent press conference described an incident where a couple of U.S. Navy pilots describe one of these things, white, oblong, some 40 feet long, maybe 12 feet thick. The pilots are astonished to see the object suddenly reorient itself toward the approaching F-18 in a series of discrete tumbling maneuvers that seem to defy the laws of physics. The object takes a position directly behind the approaching F-18 The pilots capture gun camera footage, infrared imagery of the object. They are outmatched by technology they've never seen. Um, At that point, there is an evacuation of bowels that takes place Mm. and perhaps a dry cleaning bill that's going to have to go to the the PX. Yeah. They did not exhibit overt hostility, according to this, the report, which is why we didn't try to shoot it down. But that's still enough to scare the bejesus out of you. Especially if you're an F-18 pilot, you're around some of the most advanced known technology when it comes to aircraft. 
and you see a thing tumbling like this and doing things that airplanes should not be able to do, uh, I would imagine that that probably caused some uh, – in- the pucker factor went to DEFCON 2. Coming up next, Amy will have the latest coming out of Washington about that Amtrak derailment. Also, President Trump set to unveil his America First national security strategy. Have some comments on that. We'll take you live when they happen. That's all coming up next on Gary and Shannon. Amy, before you get to that, we're going to go live to uh, Washington, D.C. Vice President Mike Pence is introducing President Trump to talk about national security issues. Thank you very much. Thank you, please. I want to thank Vice President Pence, along with the many members of my cabinet here with us today. I also want to thank all of the dedicated professionals, military, civilian, and law enforcement, who devote their lives to serving our nation. In particular, I want to recognize General Dunford, and the members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In addition, we are honored to be joined by House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Homeland Security Chairman Mike McCall, and Senate Majority Whip John Cornyn. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Let me begin by expressing our deepest sympathies and most heartfelt prayers for the victims of the train derailment in Washington State. We are closely monitoring the situation and coordinating with local authorities. It is all the more reason why we must start immediately fixing the infrastructure of the United States. We're here today to discuss matters of vital importance to us all, America's security, prosperity, and standing in the world. I want to talk about where we've been, where we are now, and finally, our strategy for where we are going in the years ahead. Over the past 11 months, I have traveled tens of thousands of miles to visit 13 countries. I have met with more than 100 world leaders I have carried America's message to a grand hall in Saudi Arabia, a great square in Warsaw, to the General Assembly of the United Nations, and to the seat of democracy on the Korean Peninsula. Everywhere I traveled, it was my highest privilege and greatest honor to represent the American people. Throughout our history, the American people have always been the true source of American greatness. Our people have promoted our culture and promoted our values. Americans have fought and sacrificed on the battlefields all over the world. We have liberated captive nations, transformed former enemies into the best of friends, and lifted entire regions of the planet from poverty to prosperity. Because of our people, America has been among the greatest forces for peace and justice in the history of the world. The American people are generous. You are determined, you are brave, you are strong, and you are wise. 
when the American people speak, all of us should listen. And just over one year ago, you spoke loud and you spoke clear. On November 8th, 2016, you voted to make America great again. You embrace new leadership and very new strategies and also a glorious new hope. That is why we are here today. But to seize the opportunities of the future, we must first understand the failures of the past. For many years, our citizens watched as Washington politicians presided over one disappointment after another. To many of our leaders, so many who forgot whose voices they were to respect and whose interests they were supposed to defend. Our leaders in Washington negotiated disastrous trade deals that brought massive profits to many foreign nations, but sent thousands of American factories and millions of American jobs to those other countries. Our leaders engaged in nation-building abroad while they failed to build up and replenish our nation at home. They undercut and shortchanged our men and women in uniform with inadequate resources, unstable funding, and unclear missions. They failed to insist that our often very wealthy allies pay their fair share for defense, putting a massive and unfair burden on the U.S. taxpayer and our great U.S. military. They neglected a nuclear menace in North Korea, made a disastrous, weak, and incomprehensibly bad deal with Iran, and allowed terrorists such as ISIS to gain control of vast parts of territory all across the Middle East. They put American energy under lock and key. They imposed punishing regulations and crippling taxes. They surrendered our sovereignty to foreign bureaucrats in faraway and distant capitals. And over the profound objections of the American people, our politicians left our borders wide open. Millions of immigrants entered illegally. Millions more were admitted into our country without the proper vetting needed to protect our security and our economy. Leaders in Washington imposed on the country an immigration policy that Americans never voted for, never asked for, and never approved a policy where the wrong people are allowed into our country and the right people are rejected. American citizens, as usual, have been left to bear the cost and to pick up the tab. On top of everything else, our leaders drifted from American principles. They lost sight of America's destiny, and they lost their belief in American greatness. As a result, our citizens lost something as well. 
The people lost confidence in their government and eventually even lost confidence in their future. But last year, all of that began to change. The American people rejected the failures of the past. You rediscovered your voice and reclaimed ownership of this nation and its destiny. On January 20th, 2017, I stood on the steps of the Capitol to herald the day the people became the rulers of their nation again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, less than one year later, I am proud to report that the entire world has heard the news and has already seen the signs. America is coming back, and America is coming back strong. Upon my inauguration, I announced that the United States would return to a simple principle. The first duty of our government is to serve its citizens, many of whom have been forgotten, but they are not forgotten anymore. With every decision and every action, we are now putting America first. We are rebuilding our nation, our confidence, and our standing in the world. We have moved swiftly to confront our challenges, and we have confronted them head-on. We are once again investing in our defense, almost $700 billion, a record this coming year. We are demanding extraordinary strength, which will hopefully lead to long and extraordinary peace. We are giving our courageous military men and women the support they need and so dearly deserve. We have withdrawn the United States from job-killing deals such as the Trans-Pacific Partnership and the very expensive and unfair Paris Climate Accord. And on our trip to Asia last month, I announced that we will no longer tolerate trading abuse. We have established strict new vetting procedures to keep terrorists out of the United States, and our vetting is getting tougher each month. To counter Iran and block its path to a nuclear weapon, I sanctioned the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps for its support of terrorism, and I declined to certify the Iran deal to Congress. Following my trip to the Middle East, the Gulf states and other Muslim-majority nations joined together to fight radical Islamist ideology and terrorist financing. We have dealt ISIS one devastating defeat after another. The coalition to defeat ISIS has now recaptured almost 100 percent of the land once held by these terrorists in Iraq and in Syria. Great job. Great job. Really good. Really good. Thank you. Thank you. We have a great military. We're now chasing them wherever they flee, and we will not let them into the United States. In Afghanistan, our troops are no longer undermined by artificial timelines, and we no longer tell our enemies of our plans. 
we are beginning to see results on the battlefield. And we have made clear to Pakistan that while we desire continued partnership, we must see decisive action against terrorist groups operating on their territory. And we make massive payments every year to Pakistan. They have to help. Our efforts to strengthen the NATO alliance set the stage for significant increases in member contributions with tens of billions of dollars more pouring in because I would not allow member states to be delinquent in the payment while we guarantee their safety and are willing to fight wars for them. We have made clear that countries that are immensely wealthy should reimburse the United States for the cost of defending them. This is a major departure from the past, but a fair and necessary one. Necessary for our country, necessary for our taxpayer, necessary for our own thought process. Our campaign of maximum pressure on the North Korean regime has resulted in the toughest ever sanctions. We have united our allies in an unprecedented effort to isolate North Korea. However, there is much more work to do. America and its allies will take all necessary steps to achieve a denuclearization and ensure that this regime cannot threaten the world. This situation should have been taken care of long before I got into office, when it was much easier to handle. But it will be taken care of. We have no choice. At home, we are keeping our promises and liberating the American economy. We have created more than 2 million jobs since the election. Unemployment is at a 17-year low. The stock market is at an all-time high and just a little while ago hit yet another all-time high, the 85th time since my election. We have cut 22 regulations for every one new regulation, the most in the history of our country. We have unlocked America's vast energy resources. As the world watches, and the world is indeed watching, we are days away from passing historic tax cuts for American families and businesses. It will be the biggest tax cut and tax reform in the history of our country. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we are seeing the response we fully expected. Economic growth has topped 3% for two quarters in a row. GDP growth, which is way ahead of schedule under my administration, will be one of America's truly greatest weapons. Optimism has surged. Confidence has returned. With this new confidence, we are also bringing back clarity to our thinking. We are reasserting these fundamental truths. A nation without borders is not a nation. 
A nation that does not protect prosperity at home cannot protect its interests abroad. A nation that is not prepared to win a war is a nation not capable of preventing a war. A nation that is not proud of its history cannot be confident in its future. And a nation that is not certain of its values cannot summon the will to defend them. Today, grounded in these truths, we are presenting to the world our new national security strategy. Based on my direction, this document has been in development for over a year. It has the endorsement of my entire cabinet. Our new strategy is based on a principled realism, guided by our vital national interests and rooted in our timeless values. This strategy recognizes that whether we like it or not, we are engaged in a new era of competition. We accept that vigorous military, economic, and political contests are now playing out all around the world. We face rogue regimes that threaten the United States and our allies. We face terrorist organizations, transnational criminal networks, and others who spread violence and evil around the globe. We also face rival powers, Russia and China, that seek to challenge American influence, values, and wealth. We will attempt to build a great partnership with those and other countries, but in a manner that always protects our national interest. As an example, yesterday I received a call from President Putin of Russia thanking our country for the intelligence that our CAA was able to provide them concerning a major terrorist attack planned in St. Petersburg, where many people, perhaps in the thousands, could have been killed. They were able to apprehend these terrorists before the event with no loss of life, and that's a great thing, and the way it's supposed to work. That is the way it's supposed to work. But while we seek such opportunities of cooperation, we will stand up for ourselves, and we will stand up for our country like we have never stood up before. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We know that American success is not a foregone conclusion. It must be earned and it must be won. Our rivals are tough. They're tenacious and committed to the long term. But so are we. To succeed, we must integrate every dimension of our national strength, and we must compete with every instrument of our national power. Under the Trump administration, America is gaining wealth, leading to enhanced power faster than anyone thought, with $6 trillion more in the stock market alone since the election. $6 trillion. With the strategy I am announcing today, we are declaring that America is in the game and America is going to win. Our strategy, thank you.
Our strategy advances four vital national interests. First, we must protect the American people, the homeland, and our great American way of life. This strategy recognizes that we cannot secure a nation if we do not secure our borders. So for the first time ever, American strategy now includes a serious plan to defend our homeland. It calls for the construction of a wall on our southern border, ending chain migration and the horrible visa and lottery programs, closing loopholes that undermine enforcement and strongly supporting our Border Patrol agents, ICE officers, and Homeland Security personnel. In addition, our strategy calls for us to confront, discredit, and defeat radical Islamic terrorism and ideology and to prevent it from spreading into the United States. And we will develop new ways to counter those who use new domains such as cyber and social media to attack our nation or threaten our society. The second pillar of our strategy is to promote American prosperity. For the first time, American strategy recognizes that economic security is national security. Economic vitality, growth, and prosperity at home is absolutely necessary for American power and influence abroad. Any nation that trades away its prosperity for security will end up losing both. That is why this national security strategy emphasizes more than ever before the critical steps we must take to ensure the prosperity of our nation for a long, long time to come. It calls for cutting taxes and rolling back unnecessary regulations. It calls for trade based on the principles of fairness and reciprocity. It calls for firm action against unfair trade practices and intellectual property theft. And it calls for new steps to protect our national security, industrial, and innovation base. The strategy proposes a complete rebuilding of American infrastructure, our roads, bridges, airports, waterways, and communications infrastructure. And it embraces a future of American energy dominance and self-sufficiency. The third pillar of our strategy is to preserve peace through strength. We recognize that weakness is the surest path to conflict, and unrivaled power is the most certain means of defense. For this reason, our strategy breaks from the damaging defense sequester. We're going to get rid of that. It calls for a total modernization of our military and reversing previous decisions to shrink our armed forces, even as threats to national security grew. 
It calls for streamlining acquisition, eliminating bloated bureaucracy, and massively building up our military, which has the fundamental side benefit of creating millions and millions of jobs. This strategy includes plans to counter modern threats, such as cyber and electromagnetic attacks. It recognizes space as a competitive domain and calls for multi-layered missile defense. All right, we're going to pull away from this. We've got Andy Field from ABC News coming up in the Swamp Watch. We'll wrap it up and talk about what the president laid out here. Also, we've got an update on the train derailment up there in Washington. Yeah, we will see a National Transportation Safety Board briefing about that derailment that killed several people. We don't have any numbers yet, uh, but they may be able to announce that very, very soon. Gary and Shannon will continue it. Shannon, if I am 640, more stimulating talk. We have been following this Amtrak train derailment up in Washington. This was the first ever faster new route from Seattle to Portland. 78 passengers on board, five crew members just south of Seattle, about 40 miles south of Seattle. It derailed cars on the overpass on both sides of the five below the overpass. We're getting stories now from the wreckage. As Amy pointed out, the death toll stands at six, but they are expecting it to rise. Guy by the name of Daniel Konzelman, 24 years old, was about 30 seconds ahead of the train on the freeway when he saw it derail. He says he pulled off the freeway, ran down along the tracks and over to the bridge to get to the scene. Saw three cars and a semi-truck on the freeway that had been damaged. Train cars with their roofs ripped off, tips upside down on both sides of the track, as I said, turned sideways on the bridge. He says they climbed onto the train cars and found people hurt. Some were pinned underneath the train. Others appeared to be dead. He said if they were mobile and, and seemed stable, he helped them climb out. If they appeared seriously hurt, he says he stayed and tried to comfort them by talking to them. He's an Eagle Scout. He has first aid training, emergency response training. We're going to go to a uh, National Transportation Safety Board briefing on the uh, train derailment. It's hard to tell. I believe Hello, this is in D.C. Hello, I am Bella Dinzar, board member of the National Transportation Safety Board. The NTSB is launching a GO team to DuPont, Washington, to investigate the derailment of Amtrak train number 501, which occurred this morning. Before I continue, we'd like to all express our deepest condolences to the family and friends and all of those affected by this tragic accident. The NTSB team will be led by Ted Turpin, who will serve as investigator in charge. He's accompanied by NTSB staff with expertise in the following areas, operations, mechanical, track, signals, human performance, and survival factors. Also accompanying the team are members of the NTSB's Office of Transportation Disaster Assistance, or TDA, and the Office of Media Relations. This accident meets the criteria of the Rail Passenger Disaster Family Assistance Act. Our TDA specialists are already working closely with officials at the, at the scene locally, as well as with Amtrak to assist them in their efforts to support all of those who have been affected by this accident. 
Several of our investigators on the West Coast will be arriving on scene this afternoon. The rest of our GO team expects to arrive at the scene late tonight. For the latest information on media briefings, I encourage you to follow us on Twitter at NTSB underscore newsroom, and our website is ntsb.gov. Again, we are just launching our GO team, and we will have more information after we arrive on scene and start the investigation. We'll be holding a number of media briefings at the scene over the next few days in Washington State. Now, I'd be happy to take a few questions, and if you'd like to ask a question, please raise your hand, and I will recognize you, and then please identify yourself and your media outlet. Thank you. Yes. Jeffrey Hope from ABC News. Do we think this accident could be speed-related? Do we know what speed the train was traveling at or the speed limit in the area or the speed limit had changed recently? It's a little bit too early to know. Right now, we're sending investigators onto the scene, so we'll find all of that. We want to give you as accurate information as possible. Yes. So you've probably heard a lot of different numbers reported by different news outlets, and we leave that to the local authorities to report, and that varies according to the jurisdiction. Yes, in the back. And as far as the CBS, uh, what can you tell us about the train itself? I mean, it was a newer train, I know it was a newer route. Also, was there any crash avoidance technology on this train? It, we actually, at this moment, we don't know because we don't have an investigator on scene, but they're headed there as we speak. We've been listening we'll, to Bella Din Zar with the National Transportation Safety Board. She doesn't have a whole lot of information. That. She has I no information. This is just the announcement that they are sending a team. There will be West Coast people who work for NTSB who uh, will be on the scene by the afternoon. And she said the full investigative team will be there by tonight. Right. Uh, they, they haven't done anything in terms of moving any of those train cars yet that are either on the roadway itself on I-5 or that are now pointed the wrong direction along the rail line itself, which is uh, the bridge that goes over I-5 there. And again, this is uh, an area that's just south of Tacoma, Washington. It's in DuPont. Uh, if you know where Fort Lewis-McCord is, the joint base there, then it's just south of that. In fact, some of the property runs uh, almost adjacent to uh, the freeway there. So it's part of the reason that they're having a hard time diverting traffic through there because they're not going to put a bunch of people, they're not going to put a few thousand cars on uh, the military base just to get them around this accident. This but. train had been going 81 miles per hour when it derailed. It's unclear if the speed was should have been reduced or an official told the Associated Press, this is an official briefed on the investigation. Don't know if he or she is directly connected to the investigation. But he or she told the AP that there were preliminary signs that the train may have struck something before going off the track. Again, just a couple weeks ago, before this new high-speed route was to be unveiled today, first day, by the way, uh, there were there was at least one mayor from nearby town of Lakewood saying, ah, not so fast. I don't know if I feel comfortable with this train, these new trains going 80 miles per hour on existing rail. And if you heard us at the beginning of the show, this new route, about 10 minutes, was designed to save commuters about 10 minutes on their commute. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting uh, investigation as it continues. But uh, if there is a local, if there's a news conference that takes place there in Washington State, we'll take that as well because they should have a whole lot more information than uh, than was just released from Washington, D.C., uh, because they're actually on the ground. The death toll, uh, the highest number we've seen right now is six. 
Uh, although with 70 plus people on the pl- uh, on the train, it's likely that that would go up. Well, so. and just the account uh, from that Eagle Scout, Daniel Konzelman, about what he was able to observe right there in the in the opening minutes of this disaster. Uh, it sounds like definitely the death toll is going to be headed up. He, also, he, by the way, says he was on the scene for more than two hours trying to do what he could. I also have the uh, the radio call from the conductor in the train. Oh, yeah, I wanted to, to hear dispatch. that. Hey, guys, what happened? Uh, we were coming around the corner to take the bridge over I-5 there, uh, right north into Squally, and we went on the ground. Okay, are you, um, is everybody okay? I'm still figuring that out. We got cars everywhere and down onto the highway. Okay, copy that, uh. Seem pretty calm for having just That's dispatch. It's always shocking to me. A... It's always shocking to me how calm the dispatchers <sighs> are. Or when you hear a pilot and there's some sort of emergency in the air. Yeah, we took about six dozen geese into our left engine. But that's why we're not pilots. That's exactly right. Uh, all right, when we come back, Dean Sharp has joined us for our regular Monday uh, get-together. We're going to talk about some uh, some design trend predictions for next year. Mm, tone Get on, on tone. Now. What? Tone on tone. Is that it? It's one of the predictions. I don't even know what that means. I don't either. Hi, Dean. It's a thing. Dean will tell us more when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. Bottom of next hour, Andy Field is going to join us from ABC News to talk about the president's national security speech that he gave at the beginning of the hour. We're also standing by for a news conference. If If there is one, we expect one. Out of Washington State after that Amtrak train derailed early this morning. There are deaths. Seattle Times reported at least six, but uh, nothing official from uh, from the mouths of the cops and the uh, the law enforcement authorities that are on the ground there. On Mondays, Dean Sharp joins us around this time, host of Home on KFI on Sundays, and he is the house whisperer. Breaking through the chaos with a little bit of peace. What? That's, That's nice. what we do Sundays, too. Do you, nice. It is really hard to have our show on talk radio with so much news. Yeah. Because, you know, we get this little cocoon of, of peace and loveliness going on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. And then every 15 minutes, there's we, just, fire we just break to the news. Somebody breaks into your warm-filled hearth with reality. <laughs> yes. It's like a home invasion that just keeps happening over and And you and know over. it's coming every time. <laughs> you do. Um, all right. Let's talk about design trends for next year. This is the thing. Do you, do you, are you the guy who sits down and say, beginning of November, start just... Uh, you're pump, like pumping out on a scratch pad what predictions you think are going to happen like, for design trends. Uh, fashion week in Paris. You know, you dictate what the trends are going to be in your home the way that Paris dictates what we're going to be wearing in the next year. If I was dictating design trends, mm-hmm. I would probably not be here with you guys Ooh, right now. Ouch. I'm just saying. Are you big time in us? Uh, no. That's my point. Oh, I'm here. When you become <laughs> here, we the are guy? palling with you. When you become the guy that dictates That's the trends, not happen. will you still join us? No, I will just <laughs> I will like, just no. still be here reporting on them. Well, what are some of these things that you're talking about uh, that could? Is this that okay? They so could here happen. Okay, they, so here's the thing. Yeah, the design trends every year. Multiple websites, places like House.com, you know, all the home design sites, they come out with their design trend predictions. What I do is sift through them and throw out all the crappy ones that I don't want to talk to anybody about, which are basically just kind of decor fad stuff, meaning I don't have much use for It's fine, but I don't have much use for people saying, well, you know, we're going to be using brass faucets this year. It's like, okay, fine. Well, at the top of your list 
are natural pastels like lavender and olive green, two colors that are going to have a big year in right. 2018. So what I like to do is I go through the list and I have collected here the more valuable ones, which which I believe represents something that good that is happening in Southern California, if not across the nation. And that is slowly but surely homeowners are getting an idea of tasteful design elements and it's just building. So I think these things generally represent the evolution of Southern California design tastes. And they'll be long, they'll be around uh, far longer than the fads themselves. Well, so yeah, things like lavenders and olive greens, which are just soft, very natural colors that are being reintroduced. Yeah, it's on people's fads list, but the fact of the matter is, these are colors that are that are bright, and, and they work really good with things like stone and wood and other natural surfaces. They also just... on the list, dark windows because and of what that do you mean con- by that contrast? Well. It's one of those things when somebody asks me, like, hey, why is my ceiling eight feet high? And I have to break the news to them that some uh, some business decision was made because drywall sheets get made in four-foot segments and builders didn't want to have four-and-a-half sheets on your walls. So your ceilings are exactly two drywall sheets high. Well, most people these days have white windows. Why? Because we went through about uh, – starting about 20 years ago, we went through this dual-pane window phase – and most of the windows that were being installed were vinyl PVC windows, and most of those right out of the chute were white. And, and so now they we've sit all in the got sun for two decades, and now they're kind of a yellow. Now they're kind of yellow. So, when possible, we are returning back to a, a a better sensibility about window frames and the power of the contrast between a dark window frame and the bright light that's coming through it. So instead of white windows, dark windows. Floating off the floor, also on the list, uh, we're talking wall mount sinks and toilets. I like that. Uh, curbless showers, which I think is great because especially as people get older, they're having to change the way their bathroom is. Right. And you know? we're living in smaller spaces. We're being content with smaller spaces. So these are both small space uh, design trends. Floating off the floor, what we mean by that is that your furniture gets leggy meaning taller legs before the actual mass of your furniture instead of a big block sitting right down on the floor. The general principle is this. Even if you're not going to have access to walk on the floor, the more floor you see, the bigger the room feels. I'm terrified, though, of a wall-mounted toilet. I'm not a big guy, but I don't want that thing coming off the wall. Oh, it's not. It is not. It's not, Gare. Okay. Wall-mounted toilets are Wall-mounted toilet failure. (laughs) Wall-mounted toilets like uh, the ones uh, from Toto and Kohler that we're installing most these days, they you have to open up the entire wall. You have to reinforce the framing of the wall, and then the tanks themselves uh, bolt in with these heavy steel brackets inside the walls. I mean, mm-hmm. you can put actually considerably more weight on a wall-mounted toilet than you could the one that's just sitting on the really? floor. Yeah. Multi-generational planning is also on the list. We've talked to you in the past about granny flats. What is a boomerang flat? A boomerang flat is my own uh, curated name for a granny flat. It's just because granny flats are one thing, uh, one direction in multi-generational planning, which is, you know, our aging parents uh, living on property with us. Uh, But Boomerang flats, meaning uh, our millennial kids and so on, uh, who uh, they leave who and then they either come back. leave or maybe yes. don't leave, and they come back, and now here's their place, which they can afford. Uh, 
if you're not charging them too high of a rent, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not uh, too and they're high, back. Dean. But multi generational living is absolutely an unavoidable fact of life now. So wait, people are like designing nice little outhouses for their kids that come back. Why can't they just move <laughs> back into their old room? Outhouses. Oh, mom and dad have different plans for their old room. The old room becomes an office, becomes a guest room. And Mm. we're talking about not just the kid home for the summer. We're talking about the fact that that there's living space out there for somebody who may, uh, you know, hunker down for a longer period of time. Hmm. Maybe even get married and start a little family. The entire All back there? All back there. The entire list of predictions, uh, trend predictions for 2018 is up on our website, KFIAM640.com. Use the keyword Gary and Shannon. You can also follow Dean at Home with Dean on the Twitters and the Facebooks and all that sort of stuff. Happy to be here. Thanks for coming in. All right, guys. Thank you for your bread and yeah, honey and eggs as well. Yeah. Well, just I feel like we're on the organ trail. I like it was a very, yeah, I was going to say it's a very old school gift to have given bread, the, eggs, and honey. Well, it's Didn't one of the it, trends. Isn't it weird? It it's, felt it's, almost biblical. Yeah. It really is one of the trends as we look towards 2018 is, is making things for people. Is me bringing you food? Mm-hmm. That's a, a, a big trend Perfectly for 2018. Fine trend with us. <laughs> Fantastic. We'll do, speaking of trends, what's trending when we come back to Gary and Shannon? Shannon, KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Well, it's noon, and every day at noon, right here at Gary and Shannon, we bring you all the stories that people are talking about everywhere. Get you caught up on all the doings. All the doings on? That's what I was going to say. All the doings on. I guess it's goings on? Time for What's Happening. You're being agreeable today. Point that out. I'm terrified of you right now. Why? Because you've been you've ingested more caffeine in the last 40 minutes than I've seen you in, in probably weeks. This is a and again, seven and a half yeah. ounce diet Pepsi. You're telling me. I and know I've exactly only had half of it. I know what that little nuclear weapon is in your hands. <laughs> I can hear the vibrations coming. That's you're shaking, and you can't even tell. Uh, so the big story of the day is this Amtrak train that derailed in Washington State, just south of Tacoma in an area called DuPont. This was the first time that this rail line from Seattle to Portland, that this train was using this line specifically. They decided to use this line specifically to save commuters 10 whole minutes. Yeah, but this, if you know much about the whole Tacoma area, this would get into Tacoma from Seattle and then follow way out by Point Defiance by the bridge and come all the way down and around. This new line would go right along I-5 and cut out a bunch of the extra time, supposedly. And uh, even though there were stops, it would be hitting 80 miles an hour, which is what it was uh, believed to have been doing 80 miles an hour before it takes a quick jog to the left and a quick jog back to the right going over I-5. Well, it never made the left turn. We don't it came kn- off a long straightaway and just went right past that turn. We don't know more than we do at this point. We don't know if it was a push train or a pull train. We don't know if the speed should have been reduced on this turn. We don't know if uh, if this section of track had been tested with this train. Now, what we have been told is that this section 
uh, where it derailed, had just been upgraded as part of the uh, $181 million project for this newer, faster route. It was Sound Transit that over that owns the track and oversaw the construction of the upgrades. Remember, the Sounder trains use use this this portion of the track, but it was new for Amtrak today. And uh, agency spokesperson with NTSB says extensive test, excuse me, with Amtrak says extensive testing was done before the opening of the system, but did not have further details. Was it just done with Sounders trains or was it done with the Amtrak trains? If it was done with the Sounders trains, then we don't know if they were going the 80 miles per hour that the Amtrak train would. Yeah, this uh, there was a report also that the mayor of Lakewood, which is maybe 10, 15 miles north of where this accident took place, he was terrified and a couple of weeks ago warned the warned of the dangers of having 80 mile an hour trains rolling through this area. It's not through neighborhoods necessarily, but there are plenty of crossings and opportunities for pedestrians and cars to be on the tracks. So uh, that was two weeks ago when the mayor said, listen, either you fix this now or you come to me after there was an accident. And unfortunately, they're going to have to come to him after there was an accident. We'll stay on top of all of the news coming out of Washington. All right. Atlanta is still trying to get back to business as usual after the airport there. The country's busiest (laughs) had a power outage. Not just the country's busiest airport, the world's busiest airport there in Atlanta. It was more than 1,400 flights that had to be canceled just days before, obviously, the Christmas rush. Oops. Hey, the uh, sexual harassment and assault allegations have now gone into the judicial branch. Mm. Alex Kozinski, one of the more recognizable names from the U.S. Circuit, uh, Circuit Court of Appeals for the Ninth District, um, has decided that he is going to resign, sorry, retire effective immediately. He apologized that he had a broad sense of humor and a candid way of speaking to both male and female law clerks alike, and that doing so, I may not have been mindful enough of the special challenges and pressures no, 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 that no, no, women no. face in the workplace. No, no, no. He allegedly invited his interns into chambers to watch porn. One clerk says she called her in at least three times to ask to ask to have her to watch the porn with him um, and asked her if it aroused her, then showed her a chart that depicted women with whom he and his college classmates had sexual relations. Nine more women have accused him of making sexual comments to them or uh, of other conduct, which included four who said that he touched them inappropriately. Here's one. Uh, University of California at Irvine law professor said that during a dinner this year, he was talking about having just had sex and then pinched her side and her leg just above the knee with his thumb and middle finger and that he tried to feed her. That's not that bad. Yeah, but come on. What face would you make if somebody walked up and pinched your side? If I'm having dinner with somebody and they're like, oh, I just had sex, and then they go honk, honk. pinch, that's bizarre. I don't know if you lose your job over it, but it is bizarre. I just want to see what face you would make. <laughs> that one. <laughs> uh, John Skipper is out as ESPN's president ESPN. and co-chair of the Disney Media Networks. He has been president. George Bodenheimer was president from 98 to 2011. He is going to be at least acting chair of the company. But what John Skipper said is... Uh, I've had a wonderful career at Walt Disney Company. I'm grateful for the many opportunities. I owe a debt to many, but profoundly, uh, Michael Linton, George Bodenheimer, Bob Iger. But he says, I struggled for many years with a substance addiction. 
I've decided that the most important thing I can do right now is to take care of my problem. Let's let everyone start frothing at the mouth because Kobe Bryant's two jerseys are being retired tonight at halftime between the Lakers and Warriors game. Mm. Whoop-dee-doo. Eight and 24, both retired. That's fun. I don't Why know you any- got to be a hater, Shannon? Because uh, of it, rape? Oh, that. <laughs> oh, that. Oh, that. Little it thing, is, little it thing is funny. called Colorado. It is oh, funny but Shannon, how- he's a great athlete. It, <laughs> yeah. Come on. It, it's funny how people forget. We When we were covering that story, and Dude. we being KFI, covering that story, Alex Stone was on that story and was on with John and Ken, it seemed like, every single day. And there were times when Kobe would go to court and then fly back in time for tip-off that night. And everybody was just so all over his jock the oh, entire yeah. time. Oh, yeah. It's oh, so gross. Kobe would never do it. He would, he's such a nice guy. You know, guy. it was one of those stories that even if people believed that it happened, they still didn't have that much of a problem with it because of what he did on the court. Right. I mean, it always was just so gross to me. And we, you and I have taken so much heat over our stance on this whole thing. Even if he did not, if he did not rape the woman who was involved with this thing, he fully admits to completely cheating on his wife out in the open and buying, what was it, a $7 million ring to put on her finger when he got done with the trial. Brad Pitt has turned 54. He is casually... Yes, still hot. And he is, uh, he says, casually dating. If you're Brad Pitt, can you casually date? Well, why not? Yeah, is is he on Tinder? (laughs) It's like you're Brad Pitt. Like how... Because here's the thing. Let, let's assume Brad Pitt's on Tinder or Match.com or whatever. And yeah, you're scrolling through. That. And you're, you're doing this with your phone where you're like, da, 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 nah, it's not so bad. Oh, he's okay. Swipe left, swipe right, whatever. And then you see Brad Pitt's picture there. You go, who's this knucklehead who thinks he's going to use Brad Pitt's picture? That's why Brad Pitt would never be on Tinder. Brad Pitt is not dead. His name is trending. It's his birthday. Hillary Duff was on it. Why wouldn't he? Those are different different ball games. I think Hillary Duff would be less recognizable than yeah. not to people in her age bracket. Are you in her age bracket? Yeah. Did you recognize her when you when she came up on your feed? Well, no, because she's all the way out here. I live way. Do out you there. have tin? Do you play with the Tinder on your phone? I do have it. And <gasps> can we? We it's can wildly, I stop it's wildly not, unsuccessful. I Tinder <laughs> Tuesday. I, oh my God, Amy! Brilliant. Yeah. Oscar. Tinder Tuesdays tomorrow, tomorrow, and we're going to shop on your Tinder for a girl for you. <laughs> we'll Swipe make, right. We'll make some alterations if necessary. I need to if fix necessary. your profile. Yes, oh, I already can see that coming. I I, you better not be wearing that bun that you're wearing today in your profile picture. No, I'm not. You took the picture. Mm. That's, uh, oh, I did? My picture. Okay, I need to see everything oh, coming God. up tomorrow on Tinder Tuesday. I need to see everything. When we come back, uh, our Gas Fantasy foreplay winners, there were none, and... This Carolina Panthers owner says he's going to sell the team. This could change the face of NFL ownership from now and forever. We'll explain that when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. I'd say that was a heartbreaker in Kansas City for your Los Angeles Chargers, but it wasn't. Even though the Chargers were ahead there for a little while, they never really had it. You don't think so? Mm -mm. And how about the Rams destroying the Seahawks up there in Seattle? I don't think I've ever seen... It hasn't happened. 
Well, they were ahead. Was it 34 to nothing? Yes, 34 to nothing. Um, I don't think they've ever been routed like that up there. No, they said that last time they were behind 27 points at home was, I think, against the Giants several years ago. But that was it. They just haven't been. I mean, they just looked like they weren't there. They didn't show up yeah. for the first 35, you know and, and 40 minutes of that game. And that's that Seahawks team, too. It's like, eh, we can't we can't be the best. We can't win. Well, then screw it. Uh, and it was just a little brats. A couple of good, uh, very close games. The Packers and Panthers, of course. And uh, Aaron Rodgers looked just fine. I mean, he landed on that surgically repaired shoulder a couple of times. And then there were the refs that gave that game to the Patriots. No, Listen, I wanted the Steelers to win that game, but that's just the way the rule is written. No, uh, that's d- crap. Tony Dungy later on on NBC was saying, listen, he he hates the rule. He thinks in college, in every level of college football and high school football, that was going to be a touchdown. But it's different in the pros. I and feel they like they the take it into their own discretion. What's a catch and what's not a catch this year? It's just insane. It's just insane. And uh, and and the Steelers made a mistake at the end there. They made a mistake with that pick. That was a stupid. Was well, a, that was dumb. Just run a play. Don't exactly. try to be funny. Don't right. fake the spike. Or anything. Right. Anyway, I went over for in our competition. Blake has now take overtaken me in the uh, the lead for a gas fantasy four play standings for the rest of the season. We can't have that. Well, we have like what one week, two weeks to get back. Yeah. I don't know what to do. Mm. I don't know what to. Anyway, your dad and I went 0 for 4. Uh, I'm sure he's very, very upset sad. about he, that. <laughs> he, d- he never called back today. He didn't. Yeah. He usually calls and talks smack, but today he was just not Yeah, like... that's what he does. Well, one of the <laughs> – um, speaking of the Panthers, though, there was an NFL investigation that was announced last week into alleged workplace misconduct by the owner of the Panthers, a guy named Jerry Richardson, who has owned the Panthers since they've been the Panthers. He's really the only one who owned the team since they started play back in 1995. And he says, I'm going to sell the team after this season. And I love it. We have the greatest fans and we have a good team and all that, et cetera. But just said, I'm going to sell the team. He and the team have had to make multiple payouts for workplace misconduct, including sexual harassment. And at one point, the use of a racial slur towards a scout who has since left the team. This sounds a la Donald Sterling, doesn't it? Very much. That's exactly who I thought of. I wonder how many more are going to uh, have some problems moving forward. Because when you talk about guys with power and more money than God, you're looking at the NFL owners. Um, but what does it have to be? Now, it should be said that their family had talked about selling the majority share of the team. There are other investors that, that make up the ownership group, but they are the majority owner. Um, they had talked about selling the team once he died. He's, what, 81? Uh, but now they've they've put put the gas on this. Yeah. Um, and, and, by the way, that that's part of the story. The other part is... Who has stepped up and said, I want to buy that team? Diddy. <laughs> Diddy. Sean Combs, he says, there's no African-American owner. I want to be the first. We heard the, the Chargers, Russell, uh, Russell Okun, say something similar earlier in the season. So Diddy now says he wants in. And Colin Kaepernick was the next name to say, hey, I'm in it with you. I want to buy it, too. The only question is, would they have the money? And the minority owners have an opportunity to 
buy uh, buy out the majority share as well. They, they'd get first dibs if they can come up with oh, the cash. Oh, I see. So, so whoever owns it currently with uh, with Richardson exactly. would have the opportunity first. Right. Interesting. All right. Uh, when we come back, we are going to jump into Swamp Watch. The president gave a big speech today on national security. We'll talk about that. And also uh, the tax bill is just a couple of days away, it looks like, from passing. So we'll talk more about what John McCain's importance in that will be. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch 2017. Gary and Shannon, on this Monday, December 18th, a lot of this stuff that we're watching, of course, the Thomas Fire continues to burn. Now the second largest fire in state history at 270,000 acres. Some of the good news is that the temperatures are down, the humidity's up a bit, so could make some progress today. Also following this train derailment up 40 miles south of Seattle, where 13 cars jumped the track. The death toll right now is at 6. We'll bring you any news out of Washington, it's it's still too early to know a lot of details of what caused this. Let's also go to uh, Washington, D.C. We do our Swamp Watch and check out what's going on in the world of politics. The president today unveiled uh, the new national security strategy. Uh, ABC's Andy Field is joining us now to talk about what the president said today. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon. Uh, this was a very strong America first speech that the president has given in various iterations over the last year. Just put it all under one umbrella. Not clear why he decided to do it today, although many presidents do this at the end of the year. President Obama did it. Uh, president George W. Bush did similar speeches, not saying the same things, but certainly talking about American security and what his administration is doing about it. So what were his plans for the future for infrastructure? Well, a lot of what we've heard before, energy security saying uh, past administrations put American energy under lock and key. He's released that, which is not necessarily true. In fact, uh, the U.S. was fairly energy self-sufficient even before he got into office, uh, not only with uh, drilling and creating our own oil and gas resources, but with other alternative energies. So that particular thing didn't ring true in this speech here. He said America's coming back strong since his inauguration. He's investing $700 billion, which he claims is a record in the military. He's no longer going to tolerate trade abuse. And he talked a lot about countries that are very wealthy have to start paying their fair share for American uh, defense systems that are in their countries. And that's what he's demanding. Uh, he mentioned this, uh, this phrase, America is in the game and America is going to win. He talked also about securing the homeland in uh, the border, for one thing, but also immigration policies. Yeah, again, these are these are themes that he has mentioned over and over and over again. Uh, building a border wall, uh, more recently talking about chain migration, uh, blaming uh, the the person who set off uh, a small bomb in New York City the other day on chain migration, uh, saying that chain migration is a, a, a huge threat to national security. Uh, kind of ignoring the fact that he wouldn't be in this country were it not for chain migration himself, uh, because his ancestors came over here and then brought over other relatives, which brought over his grandparents and parents, and that's why Donald Trump was born in the U.S. So why today, if he's mentioned all of these plans in the past, what, what what's up with the timing of this announcement? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, other than perhaps it's tied to uh, securing votes uh, for the tax bill as well as a budget plan, both which uh, the president hopes to get done this week. All right, Andy, thank you. Thank you, guys. ABC's Andy Field there, the latest in Washington, D.C. Um, the I, I think one of the interesting things about the speech today was that he was specifically talking about China as a strategic competitor. Uh, that China is effectively across the political, economic, military, and informational domain in ways probably not duplicated by uh, by our other competitors. I mean, it's an acknowledgement, at least a very public acknowledgement, that they are a strong number two. That's a, probably not the right term, but that's what I'm... Uh, and then he also, the president did mention also North Korea a couple of times and said basically that if if anything happens... This will be taken care of. That was the term he used. This will be taken care of. Hey, remember Mike, or excuse me, Matthew Peterson, President Trump's district court nominee. He had to answer very basic legal questions at his confirmation hearing last week. It was actually comical slash sad uh, when he could not come up with the answers. He's asked about presiding over a jury trial or a, um, a bench trial, right. a criminal or civil or Handling any of these things, have you have you uh, have you handled a deposition before? Uh, a couple. It was just embarrassing. Well, we've got news about his future. We'll do that. We'll also talk with the ABC Serena Marshall about the tax bill in the future over the next couple of days. What's going on with that? Gary yeah. Shannon will continue. Gary Shannon. In the 1 o'clock hour, we're going to be talking with Rebecca Jarvis from Market Mondays. More record territory or new record territory, I guess, for the Dow. We'll talk about all of that and a bunch of other stuff as well. But we're in the middle of Swamp Watch right now, talking about what's going on in Washington, D.C. ABC News' Serena Marshall joins us now on the tax plan and the progress of that. Hi, guys. How's it going? Great. How are you? Good. Yeah, this tax plan is moving full steam ahead. It looks like they have the votes in the Senate and in the House. You could see a vote in the House by tomorrow and in the Senate shortly thereafter. And the president would have kept his promise to get this tax bill to the American people by Christmas. Well, the one of the questions was whether or not Senator John McCain was going to be able to be there for the vote. And now it looks like he will not. It looks like he will not. He is home in Arizona right now recovering after uh, his last treatment. But that doesn't seem to matter on the vote tally. On Friday, they were able to shore up Senator Bob Corker, who was an original no on that first draft that went through the Senate, into a yes. They also got Marco Rubio on board. So even without John McCain, it looks like this will still get through the Senate. I know Rubio wanted an increased child tax credit. What did Corker want and did he get it? Well, Corker in the beginning had said that this just added too much to the federal deficit. It adds about $1.5 trillion over 10 years, and he said he could never get behind anything that added that much to the federal deficit. And the reconciled bill of the House and Senate versions still is estimated to add about $1.5 trillion to the deficit. But he said when he looked at the numbers and at the bill, this looks like a better option for the American people than not doing anything. And that's what got him to a yes. Uh, There were some questions about whether or not we were going to even see the text of this bill. It did come out, though, over the weekend, right? It came out over. 
over the weekend. It's about a thousand pages, so you can imagine members of Congress had a little light reading to do this weekend. Uh, and it, it basically brought together that House and Senate version. There are some things that are slightly different, like that uh, corporate tax rate. It went to 21 percent from the original 20 percent, but uh, they were able to work out a lot of those things. But still, this bill is very deep. It's, it's expected to give deep tax cuts to corporations and for the wealthy, and some experts are saying it's more limited benefits to the middle-class Americans. Uh, to spend just an extra second on the, the Senator McCain situation, do, what, uh, what do we know about his condition um, the the family, uh, Megan McCain had tweeted something out and just said that her father's doing well. But do we know anything deeper than that about how he's doing? Well, they're being a uh, very close hold on this. Obviously, it's considered a family matter. And we know that he um, is battling brain cancer and will miss those votes this week and is back home recovering from what they said was uh, treatment. So he had some reaction to some of the treatment, a viral infection, uh, as some reported, was part of that uh, resulting from that treatment, but uh, he's expected to be back in the Senate come or the next session early January. Serena, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Before the break, talking about Matthew Peterson, which was Trump's judicial nominee, who had a rough go of things in his confirmation hearing. He has now withdrawn his name from consideration after that video of him failing to have any credentials uh, basically went viral. Uh, so uh, that that's the way it goes. Uh, he, he wrote a letter to the president saying he's withdrawing because he doesn't want to be a distraction to the administration. He doesn't want to be the subject of a viral video that went around all he, weekend. He was nominated to be a lifetime judge on the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, but uh, complete lack of qualifications. Never, never tried a jury trial, never tried a civil trial, criminal bench trial, no state or federal court, nothing. I mean, he was maybe a party to a couple depositions in law school or something and, of that nature. And the, the video that we've all seen now where the, um, the member of Congress is just asking him questions. So have you, uh, you ever sat uh, over a bench trial? No. Civil trial? No. Jury trial? No. Any trial? No. Yeah. You ever practice in state court? No. I mean, just this this line of questions where you'd think somebody who's going to be on a court of that level would have answered some of them yes. That was a Republican member of Congress, by the way, who was grilling him. Oscar was talking about how that has been something that the president has been successful at, is pushing forward his uh, nominees for judge. Uh this is probably the most attention an administration has gotten for with these uh, lower level lower judges. level courts. Yeah, I mean and, they're not low, but, but well, I mean yeah. they're not Supreme Court justices. The uh, the I don't know what the requirements are in terms of experience for for judges of that level. Well, you should have tried uh, a case. Well, you, you would think <laughs> yes, but I mean constitutionally, what's the requirement? Because of the Supreme Court, you don't have to be a lawyer. Even. Yeah. Uh, although it's a pretty good idea so that you have some knowledge of, of what's going on. But so anyway, that was a uh, that was a fun thing. Somebody also said, by the way, Al Franken should reverse his uh, resignation. At least four senators are now urging Al Franken to reconsider resigning, including two who issued statements that called for his resignation two weeks ago. And now they feel remorse for what they call a rush to judgment. OK. All right. All right. All right, coming up next, it's 1 o'clock on Monday, which means Market Mondays. Hey, don't forget, coming up tomorrow is Tinder Tuesday. 
when we dig into Blakey's Tinder profile, find out if he's doing anything wrong and what he's doing right and maybe some selections we can help him make. Guessing it's heavy on the wrong. Well, don't don't be hard on yourself. I'm just guessing. I had predictions. Prediction Monday. (laughs) (laughs) You're not allowed to make days. (laughs) Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. It's Market Monday on Gary and Shannon. Because everyone loves money. And alliteration sounds great on the radio. Rebecca, you didn't have to hear that pajama gram commercial by Gary, did you? I was actually waiting to go live on Facebook because I was afraid that if the music played in the background, my Facebook followers would not be wouldn't really understand where I was going with things today. Yeah, you didn't want to be uh, <laughs> accused of violating their ears. Oh, I can just... <laughs> no, I could but just I was keep very playing it. Did you compose? That? Oh, no, yeah. turn that off. Oh, man. Hold on. You can't do the, the creepy voice and the music together. It's, <laughs> oh, my God. This is 2017. You could get fired for that. No, I couldn't. <laughs> I can't. It's impossible. It is impossible at this point. Well, Rebecca, it looks like the Dow likes maybe the upcoming tax bill vote. Yes. Well, the Dow this so far this year pretty much likes anything and everything. I think that's what it feels day. like. This is the uh, the seventieth record close today for the Dow. Uh, obviously, there are a number of companies that would significantly benefit from a twenty one percent tax rate. Wall Street is taking that into account. It's also uh, Christmas week, and in general, the market tends to do well at this time of year. Um, I think I I saw a statistic about December is is almost never negative. December is almost always a positive month for stocks. People are in a good mood. They're getting ready to take some time off. Um, But, yes, absolutely, with the uh, potential for a vote on Tuesday, there is uh, a lot of good cheer in the markets today. Is there is there any specific way or is there a way to figure out if there is a specific part of the tax plan that's making people this excited about it? Well, the federal corporate tax rate is the most exciting part to Wall Street. Lowering the tax rate from from 35 percent to 21 percent, that's going to be a significant savings, as will the repatriation part where companies can take all of their money that they've got sitting overseas right now because they don't want to pay taxes on it, bring it back to the U.S. There are a lot of things companies can do with that money. One of the things that companies have said they might do with some of that money is buy back stock and give dividends both positive things for people who own stocks. I talk about this a lot. 50% of the country owns stocks. 50% of the country doesn't own stocks. So there's a lot of people, uh, a lot of economists, hoping that the money doesn't just go back into the market, that it also flows into the real economy, like hiring uh, people, seeing their earnings, their incomes rise as a result of that money. Those are the things that would really lift the economy overall going forward as well. Rebecca, one of my favorite money stories here in Hollywood is how much people earn on residuals. Oh. Like when people make movies that are big and that are played every year, Christmas movies probably, uh, how much they make when just these magic checks appear in the mail. Exactly. I love that story, too. Zach Ward, uh, who played uh, the bully in The Christmas Story. The kid that stuck his tongue on the light pole or on the on the yeah, on the pole, right? Uh, wait, or no, that, or was that no, the no. little brother? Scott, Scott Farkas is the one who wore the the, uh, the raccoon oh, hat yeah, yeah, and like yeah, the, yeah. like red yes. freckles, and, then, and he had like but just bright blue eyes. And then what happened to him? Didn't something bad happen to him? Did he get uh, beaten up at the end by Ralphie? 
Well, that would be kind of fun. I forget. God, it's been so long. And it was Ralphie's little brother that got the yes. tongue stuck on the pole. Right. See, we just watched that part of the kid getting the, the tongue stuck on the pole so much. I don't actually remember any of the rest of the movie. I, I know, because it was just like a lesson. Don't do that. Exactly. And then you always wondered after you watched it, should I go out and try that? Or Yeah. <laughs> is it only in the movies? Is this Hollywood or is this real? So he says, Zach Ward says, uh, he basically gets $1,800 every two years, and it comes in Canadian money uh, because it was shot in Canada. The movie was shot in Canada. He's now an actor, and he dabbles around L.A. Um, He's been in American Horror Story. He's been on the Keanu Reeves show, Swedish Dicks. Um, but he, 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 he's doing okay. Drake, um, there's a really funny anecdote from Drake. He said he got a check of $8.25 last March because of Degrassi. You know, remember Drake before he was a pop artist? He was on Degrassi. Um, so yeah, but he also is worth now $90 million. It's not coming from Degrassi. It's coming from, uh, the other career, the, the music career that he figured out. And then, uh, well, hold on. If I if I was Drake and I got a if I got a royalty check for eight dollars and twenty five cents, yes, I would make a big deal out of taking my limo or my car service down to the bank and holding up <laughs> this eight dollar and twenty five cent check and flapping it around. Hey, I'm Drake. I'm Drake. Started from the bottom. Now we eight twenty five. Nice. Um, <laughs> um, so um, I am Bialik. Also, so we know Maya, obviously. From, from Blossom. Blossom, exactly. But she also had a a, a one-time uh, guest appearance on Doogie Howser, another one of my favorite shows as a kid. Oh, my gosh, Love I know. I loved that show open. So she had this one-time guest appearance, and she gets royalty checks from the episode. The amount? One cent. One penny. She gets royalty checks from who do you um, think had the better closet, Blossom or Clarissa Explains It All? That's a good question. I think Clarissa, probably. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm glad we're on the same page about that, Shannon. Yeah, Blossom was a little over the top, a little too eccentric. Yeah, it was It was a little too much for my taste, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, cast of Friends, though, they're the ones who are really making it rain. Um, they are getting, this is the statistic, $20 million. Stop it. Million. Annually. I actually, so I read this and I, I, I had to do a double take and make sure I read it right. And I wasn't reading too quickly because $20 million annually. That's insane. You don't ever have to do anything. Let's, let's all figure out a, a show like Friends and go on that. That is a good idea. Maybe there's something to be made out of Blake's Tinder profile reality show. <laughs> I think that's a great plan. That is crazy. Uh, Charlie Sheen is also a guy who's making all kinds of money from Two and a Half Men. I mean, even though he was fired, he's still making $613,000 each month. Yeah. I guess it's okay when you get fired. As long as you're in the show, it's okay. Man, that is incredible. How much, Do you get anything? Are you Were you in anything that you get residuals for? I was on a show called The Whatever Show. Not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> this will come back to haunt me. I'm Googling now. It was it was on the NBC affiliate in the Twin Cities. It was a teen news magazine show. And um, I was 15 when I was on that show. I do not get residual checks. And I don't think it plays anywhere anymore. Oh. What year was that? So I'm going to say like maybe 97, 98, okay. 99. I'm going to try and find it. Wow. 
But you, if you try, my producers at ABC have tried so hard. They've reached out actually to the local. Oh, they have. Oh. Oh, okay, well then so, I won't. I won't have any luck. Then. Yeah, I don't think you're going to have luck with that. But um, it was it was a fun time. We I could actually watch you on TV anytime. So I don't know why I'm dying. To, like, <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm kind of curious, honestly, to see how terrible I was. That like, sure was great. No, no. <laughs> I had braces and really short hair. It was amazing. We all did. As I, well, not all of us. As I mentioned, uh, it is uh, Christmas time, and uh, Pajamagram does include free shipping, and Christmas Day delivery is guaranteed. But let's, when we come back, let's talk about these shipping deadlines because we are up against it right now. We're a week away from uh, from the big Super Bowl of gift giving days of Christmas, so uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. Rebecca Jarvis has joined us from ABC News, uh, and she is the chief correspondent for business technology and economy. More coming up next. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Coming up next, we will have all the latest out of Washington State on that train derailment. Death toll is at six. They say at least two people are in critical condition, 11 more seriously injured. Tons more hospitalized, so we will bring you all the latest details coming up next. But right now, we are right in the middle of Market Mondays with Rebecca Jarvis from ABC News, the chief of business, tech, and economy, and the senior executive all-star correspondent to the Gary and Shannon Show. Whoa, senior executive. All-star is what I added. Yeah. executive all-star. Yeah. It's pretty Um, good, right? I love it. Hey, the good news is... um, well, I should say the bad news is that what we ordered for you for the holidays is still stuck in transit. So, oh, what did we order? <laughs> Gary is totally pulling the wool over my eyes. You guys didn't order me anything, and it's oh. okay. I'll just assume you did. I put him in charge of that this year, <laughs> and never again. Well, my wife also put me in charge of wrapping certain presents, and I accidentally put a red bow on one of them. And I don't know if I'm allowed home today. A red bow is wrong. Yeah, this seems well, a little. Uh, there is a there is a color scheme, Rebecca. This seems a little next level Duh. Christmassing to me. That there's a color scheme and that you got admonished for using a red bow when you're not doing red bows this year. I didn't. Well, then why is there That's a red funny. ribbon in the in the box? It's a fair question. I uh, I I just I appreciate the fact that you wrapped some gifts, Gary. Well, yeah, I'm the one who true. bought them. I mean, if, that never happens. They're from me. <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's talk about shipping because we are now, we are at crunch time right now. If you don't have something, you are either going to be paying through the nose for shipping or or you're going to get lucky and hopefully you can pick it up in the store. Yeah, today and tomorrow are going to be your absolute cheapest options. Today is your cheapest UPS option. Tomorrow is your cheapest FedEx and U.S. Postal Service option. And there's actually an interesting consumer report that looks at exactly all of these different alternatives of where you could send it and how much it would cost. And they found that overall, sending U.S. Postal Service is your cheapest option. Of course, this is what you will do if you are actually sending the gifts yourself. In most cases, people are going to go to retailers' websites and buy online and have it shipped directly to wherever it's going. So Walmart, Target, Best Buy, they've all got uh, shipping right now that you still can get in. You can still make sure that the, the shipment gets to its place by Christmas Day, but time is running out, so it's really important. U.S. Postal Service will charge you a $12.50 surcharge. If you wait until the absolute last minute, Friday, they'll charge you a $12.50 surcharge on Friday if you 
ship it on Friday, but it will be guaranteed to be delivered by December 25th, Christmas Day. They're not, the, the postal service, post offices aren't going to be open on Christmas Day, but postal workers are going to be delivering packages on Christmas Day. And then, of course, there is always, especially today, the Amazon option, where if you're a Prime customer, um, and you can do a free trial membership of Prime if you're interested in that. So if you're a Prime customer, you can do the free two-day shipping uh, up until pretty much the last minute. Uh, then there's the one-day shipping. And then on Christmas Eve, Amazon does the, uh, the, the last-minute delivery. If you do by 9.30 a.m. on Christmas Eve, you can order on their site and have it delivered by that night, and then they also have finally their two-hour delivery, which you have to order by nine forty-five p.m. Two-hour <laughs> delivery. Yeah, uh, two-hour delivery. It's it's like specific cities. This only applies to some cities, and it only applies to some items. So, you, so rather than leaving it to the last minute, maybe just don't do that. Yeah. Rebecca, what's coming up on No Limits podcast? So, thank you so much for asking. We have the most senior female executive in the music industry. Her name is Jody Gerson. She grew up listening to artists like Frank Sinatra and the Supremes, and now she's worked with everyone from Alicia Keys to Rod Stewart throughout her career. She's the chairman and CEO of Universal Music Publishing Group, and um, we talk all about how she started out signing a completely unknown person by the name of Lady Gaga and how that initial conversation with Lady Gaga before she was known to the world, what happened in that conversation, what sold her. And then I know we're not going to talk until after the New Year, guys, right? Yeah, I think so. That's sad. So so we have just, just one more tease because I, I really enjoyed this conversation. We spoke to a four-star general, General Ellen Palakowski. She is a commander of Air Force Materiel Command. She is one of the most senior females in the military, one of just two women currently holding the military's highest rank, one of five ever to do so in the Department of Defense. She has a fascinating story, and we talk about uh, how people perceive the military today versus how she started. When she started, she was in the ROTC program. She was the only woman. They didn't even have uniforms for women when she got started. It was around the time uh, of, of the Vietnam War, shortly after um, so it was a really interesting conversation, and I think I think people are going to like both of these because they uh, they shed a lot of light on on two places, both the military as well as the music industry. That I think um, often we just we don't really know what happens behind closed doors there, and they they both get into that. I love hearing these stories that you bring to light. You know, there's Thank so you. many people that have such fascinating stories that we don't hear about. You know, that don't make the news, and it, it's really cool to see you do it. I really appreciate that, Shannon. Well, I enjoy it. I, it genuinely is uh, it is one of my greatest joys to have these conversations. So I love that people are responding to it. Um, and I really appreciate your feedback. Well, Rebecca, happy holidays. Happy yeah, New Year. Yeah, we're sending you a hug right now. I can't wait. 2018, the one, the one resolution I have for 2018, I need to get out to Gary and Shannon land. Yes. Hey, it's well, got to happen. You, how about this? You just tell us when you're coming because you've been out here. It's just that, you know, you never let us know that you're coming. Well, maybe she doesn't want to let you know, I know psycho. I'm going to give Shannon a heads up. We'll see. <laughs> Rebecca, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Rebecca Bye. Jarvis there from, uh, from ABC <laughs> News. You follow her at Rebecca Jarvis as well. She's got some fun stuff. And we'll throw a link up to the No Limits podcast on our website so that you can check it out. I didn't mean to name call. <laughs> Gary and Shannon, KFI yeah. AM 640.
have been watching this story all morning long and all afternoon, and we'll continue to Amtrak train 501 on its way from Seattle to Portland, made it as far as DuPont before it jumped the tracks. The 14-car train, including the engines, the locomotives, 13 of those jumped the track early this morning. A couple of them ended up upside down on the southbound lanes of I-5, where the uh, where the tracks go over I-5. Two semi-trailers were underneath the train. Five vehicles. You can... Uh... You can understand how many injuries we're looking at. Death toll right now is at six, but we've got people in critical and serious condition. Joining us uh, to talk more about this, Scott Cardi, reporting from uh, Washington State. It was Washington State, that is. Scott, how you doing? Good to be with you, Gary and Shannon. It is a, a tragic day here in Washington as this Amtrak 501 train in its maiden voyage today went around a corner and off the tracks. As you mentioned, 13 of those 14 cars are off the tracks, scattered everywhere, uh, witnesses and, and passengers who filed reports from the uh, from the train have said that they felt some wobbling as they made their way into that turn, and then they just heard nothing but screeching metal. This was uh, this this track that it was on was new to the Amtrak line, uh, and was supposed to cut time, shave some time off of that trip. Yeah, it's supposed to shave about ten minutes from that trip between Seattle and Portland. And Gary, I know you're familiar with the area up here and and I five and how busy that area can get with Joint Base Lewis McCord there, also an Intel campus. So at seven forty in the morning, you've got a lot of people commuting, which makes it all the more amazing that of those cars that were below, none of the drivers of those vehicles were killed in this. Um, with the trains going through, um, you know, on that corner. In terms of it being new track, it's a new route. I don't know exactly how much of the track itself was new, uh, but this is part of a massive project with Washington State Department of Transportation, and this is a path that freight trains had taken before, but this is new for the high-speed commuter service for Amtrak. Scott, it, it was reported that the the sounder the sounder trains use this portion of the track, and that. That agency was behind the refurbishment, I guess you could say, of the railings of this overpass and, and the safety enhancements, and that this track was tested before this maiden voyage or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, do we know if it was tested by a train going 80 miles per hour or if it was tested by the Sounders trains? Great question. We don't have confirmation on that. I think that's part of the result of just the chaos of this scene. All of those trains are sitting in the exact same spot they've been since this morning at 740, and there's no indication they're going to get moved anytime soon with NTSB just now on their way out here. They won't get here till late this afternoon or early evening. Um, in terms of the test and in terms of the speed, we do know with Amtrak's own tracker that it was going at 81.9 miles per hour. Um, if, in fact, it was a 79-mile-per-hour limit, sure, it's only a few miles per hour, but for a train of that size um, going on a corner, you know, those are all factors the NTSB will have to investigate. Um, and we also don't know, is, is, is there a zone there that it was supposed to be slower going around that turn? If you've heard the audio from the conductor to dispatch immediately following it, his call is that we've got cars everywhere down on the highway. Before that, he says we're coming around the corner to take the bridge and win on the ground. Just strange. And and I-5 itself uh, through that area, it's not the only way to get from, say, Seattle or Tacoma to Olympia, but it is by far the easiest um, without going way out of the way, like around the military base like you were referring to. Any idea when they're going to reopen that? No idea. The Washington State Department of Transportation says it's going to be a long-term closure. How long, we don't know, but 
at least the rest of the day uh, into the night. And I, I cannot imagine, based on the severity of this scene, that they'll be able to bring in heavy equipment and remove all those cars and have all of their investigation and evidence plotted out in its points uh, by any time before tomorrow morning. So commuters are expecting to have to completely avoid that area for quite some time. Scott, the mayor of Lakewood nearby there had some safety issues uh, about this this track, this new stretch of, of, uh, of track here that allow the trains to go faster. Has he been talking at all about this? Has anybody been pointing fingers, or is it still obviously way too soon for that? I think some of the local leaders are trying to show some sensitivity toward that. However, Mayor Don Anderson of Lakewood, on as early as December 4th, as recently as December 4th, was commenting about it. It's been something he's been very concerned about for quite some time. The cities of DuPont and Lakewood have both been very active in promoting safety messages to stay off the tracks and, and beware of the distraction of the train. But Don Anderson, just on the 4th, was was making comments that this is an accident waiting to happen, essentially. Uh, and lo and behold, here we are on day one with the very first uh, train going through there, and we have absolute tragedy. Crazy. All right, Scott, thank you for your time. You bet. Good to be with you guys. You bet. Scott Carty there from uh, Washington State talking about what's going on there with this uh, derailed train. We come back. I found an interview with a guy who had worked for Amtrak for 17 years and was on that train this morning just because he loves trains. There were a bunch of people who were on this train, not for commuting purposes or vacation purposes or anything. They're just they're just train lovers. Well, and it's the first day of the faster service from Seattle to Portland, so train enthusiasts enthusiasts would want to be there. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Baby, please have mercy on me. Take it easy on my heart. Even though you told me to hurt me, you keep tearing me apart. Would you please have mercy, mercy on my heart. Watching the story out of Washington State, at least six people have been killed, according to the Seattle Times, after an Amtrak train derailed from a bridge onto I-5. Two people in critical condition, 11 others seriously injured. Four hospitals say about 50 people have been hospitalized. Uh, At least one person in surgery. Governor Jay Inslee has declared a state of emergency in response to the derailment just about every uh, law enforcement and it, even military branch has uh, responded to this. There's a joint military base there, uh, Air Force and Army, I believe, that's right there alongside the freeway. The Pierce County Sheriff says that in addition to casualties on the train, which we know that there have been six uh, killed so far, some of the motorists that were on I-5 were injured. They said that there were at least uh, two big rigs, and five other vehicles that were damaged when the train cars literally fell onto the roadway. In fact, one of those train cars fell upside down onto southbound I-5 lanes. 13 of the 14 cars from the train jumped the track. I wanted to play this little bit of sound. This is one of the guys who was in the train, a longtime worker for Amtrak, so he knew what he was getting into, but he wasn't there as a commuter or anything. He was just there because he likes trains and wanted to be on this first a relatively high-speed run between Seattle and Portland. Or when the 
cars just started to go to the, you know, kind of on the side, you know, just, and then uh, it just started to tip, and then, then all of a sudden things started to go, everything went dark and stuff started flying around. And I knew well, thanks so much. It was not good. And you were telling me that you were physically being thrown around in in, in your not I because I, I, I was by the bulkhead, so I was knocked you know around the bulkhead and stuff like that. But then I was okay. I mean, I just uh, I shook myself off and was glad I was still around and not seriously injured. He said he did get an injury on his leg and that he was in. I think he said coach, which means that he was right behind. The locomotive is was the second car, uh, and the locomotive itself just basically went off the tracks based on where it ended up and was sort of parallel to the southbound lanes of I-5 alongside the road when all of the other cars were the ones that uh, ended up going the wrong way or fell off the tracks and onto the roadway itself. 24-year-old Eagle Scout by the name of Daniel Konzelman was about 30 seconds ahead of the train on the freeway when he saw it derail. He was driving with a friend. He said he pulled off the freeway, ran down along the tracks and over to the bridge to get to the scene. He says he saw three cars and a semi-truck on the freeway that were badly damaged that there were train cars with their roofs ripped off that were tipped upside down on both sides of the track or turned sideways on the bridge. He says they climbed into train cars and found people hurt. Some people were pinned underneath the train, others who appeared to be dead, he said. Now, if they were mobile and seemed stable, he said he tried to help them climb out. If they appeared seriously hurt, he says he tried to comfort them by talking to them. He says, I just wanted to help people because I would want people to help me I'm an Eagle Scout. I have a lot of first aid training and emergency response training. He and his friend stayed there for nearly two hours. He says, I prepared for the worst and hoped for the best. I saw a little bit of both. Just weird and strange because the people along the people driving southbound on I-5, the, the train tracks were right next to the roadway. So if you're driving southbound, this train is headed your direction. And by all accounts, it's going 80 miles an hour, so it's probably outpacing traffic at that point. And what what happens is it's got a several mile straightaway there alongside I-5 and then just does a quick left bend and comes up over the freeway. And that's when and where this accident occurred is right as it comes up over the freeway. So there were plenty of people who could see this entire thing. And I can't imagine, I mean, we've heard the reports of people who drove past it or uh, pulled up on it after it had already happened. But there are going to be a couple dozen people who watched this unfold in front of them. And I can't imagine what that even looks like, What how you would respond in an incident like that. The devastation is pretty crazy considering the amount of stuff that is now on I-5, not just the mangled cars and semis that are underneath that were uh, hit by this train, but the train itself. It's going to take two days probably to clear all of that debris and, by the way, giant train cars off of the freeway to try to reopen it. Uh, they haven't done uh, – there are some sort of very casual news conferences that have taken place from the location. I think it's in the DuPont City Hall parking lot, which is nearby. But there haven't been any uh, official news conferences from Amtrak or the State Patrol or anybody like that that would give us any indication – what they know, including things like a potential for some sort of obstruction on the track, something there. They have, there was one report earlier that that was a possibility that they would investigate, but it could be something as simple as, I don't know, it could be something as simple as 
human error at that point. Uh, there's a press conference going on, uh, KCPQ in DuPont, Washington. And she, uh, the official who's speaking, says that this was a was a pulled locomotive. This was a pulled, and there was an engine at back, but it was not using the power. It was not being powered. Yeah, and they've been showing a couple of different helicopter shots from the, the actual scene of the accident where they are showing debris that is um, circled. Someone's gone through with bright orange spray paint and circled the debris, but it's hard to tell exactly what that what the context of it is. It looked like there was a broom at one point, which doesn't mean anything other than there's stuff on the side of the track. So anyway, this is there's going to be more information coming out. The NTSB team is on its way, is expected to be in Washington State by 10 o'clock tonight, where they'll begin a very long night of investigation and measuring, getting this scene figured out before they remove some of the debris. John and Ken will stay on top of this, bring you all the latest coming up next on KFI. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Stay dry. Watch for another episode soon of Gary and Shannon. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now, a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest interest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together, they can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit PenFed.org slash gold card. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCU. Anyway.